Hey everybody, it's me, Josh, and for this week's SYSK Selects, I've chosen Whatever Happened to Acid Rain from back in 2012. Uh, it's the story of one of those really neat, rare times when humanity came together and said, no, no more. We're going to actually save the planet this time. Let's hope we can do this again. In the meantime, sit back and enjoy. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryant, and we're doing this again. We're bringing the science this time for once in our lives. Acid rain. Yeah. Falling down from the acid clouds. That's not how that song goes. <laughs> That's not how Acid Rain by Tejon Day goes. That guy's so great. We watched that again the other day just by chance, and yeah. I hadn't seen it in a couple of years, and it's still just, Beautiful. it's hard to, like Chad said, our friend, it's hard to believe that that voice comes out of that guy. Yeah. And he's got a new one, like Mother Economy. It's oh, really? Good, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, he's a good guy. Um, don't know what Chocolate Rain's about, but there's a good call out. I would be very interested to hear everyone's interpretation of what chocolate rain means. Uh, good. I'd like to hear that too. Um, let's see, Chuck. Do you remember back in the 80s mm-hmm. hearing about two things, two terrifying environmental things? One, the ozone layer, specifically the hole in the ozone layer. Yeah. And two, acid rain. Yeah, throw in apartheid, and that is the 80s. Yeah. I'm not going to play Sun City. Nope. Um, yeah, that's the, pretty much. Also, don't forget cocaine, Ronald Reagan, jelly beans, and the A-team. Yeah. And Magnum. Sure. But he kind of transcends the 80s, really, if you ask me. He's just... A, a man of all times. There. Yeah. yeah. Never gets old. Um, the, the weird thing is, is since... I guess the, maybe the mid-90s or whatever, you don't hear about any of those things except for Magnum any longer. Yeah, because, of of course, global warming took over and everyone's afraid we're going to melt now. And so they said, well, we don't need to worry about acid rain anymore. We fixed that problem. Right. I think there was a perception that, you know, acid rain was fixed and taken care of. And astoundingly, in a lot of ways, it has been. Yeah, they've come a long way, baby. The ozone layer, by the way, has not been. As a matter of fact, another one opened up in the Antarctic now. So oh, really? now we have two. But uh, that's an, that's another topic of discussion. Yeah. Acid rain, let's get back to it, though, is a very, uh, it's a nice success story in a lot of ways. And it came from a comprehensive understanding of a problem mm-hmm. and a comprehensive will to address it. That's right. That's how you take care of stuff. It, there is still a long way to go, though. Oh. You're always bringing me back down to earth, aren't you? <laughs> Not completely fixed, but it is good. It's heartwarming to know that you can see a problem and and reduce something like acid rain. Precisely. So, uh, Chuck, what is acid rain? Man? Uh, acid rain, Josh, is a transboundary issue, which means even though it just occurs in the nor- or mainly occurs in the northern hemisphere, mm-hmm. it still is going to cross over. And affect the rest of the world. And the reason that's worth mentioning is because for many years, up until the 1980s, um, they thought it was a very local problem. Yeah. Uh, and then they realized, oh, no, it's not. And everybody kind of got on board with fixing it. That's right. Um, but like you said, Northern Hemisphere, it occurs mostly there because 
We're the dirtiest. Yeah, more We're industrial. The, uh, the most polluting. Yeah. yeah. So specifically, what it is um, is rain with acid in it, literally. Uh, emissions of sulfur dioxide, SO2, nitrogen oxides, NOx, uh-huh. from things like cars and factories, power plants, all those nasty things. Lightning strikes, volcanoes. Those are the natural ones. Yeah. Um, they will actually react with water vapor in the atmosphere and turn into acids, sulfuric and nitric acids. Yeah. And they can fall in the form of wet rain, um, snow, sleet, fog, or right. they can be deposited... Uh, as particulates and gases, so right. that's dry acid rain. Well, the <laughs> whole, whole thing is called acid deposition yeah. because it can be wet or dry, right? And it's being deposited. Exactly. On the earth. Yeah, that's what that word is. It's branched from deposit, isn't it? I think so. Yeah, it didn't even occur to me. Um, and so, you, you, so, bravo on explaining acid rain and Pretty how it's easy. formed. Bravo Sarah Dowdy, who wrote this. Yeah, she did a very good job on this. Um, and when... You can't just be like, well, this this rain seems a little hinky, so yeah. we're going to say that that's acid rain. They actually know um, there's a there's a very um, strict definition of what constitutes acid rain, and it, they use the pH scale to determine it. Good old pH scale. So the pH scale is um, the spectrum between highly acidic and highly basic, right? Mm-hmm. And um, acid rain obviously falls toward the acidic side of the scale. And in the middle of the scale is pure water. And that's at a 7.0. It's not at zero. It's entirely neutral. It's neither basic nor acidic. Yeah. I just find it interesting that it's a scale of 0 to 14 with 7 being in the middle. 7's in the middle of 0 to 14. Yeah, but I mean, it. just for me, I would say 0 is neutral and anything above would be I high gotcha. and negative. But whatever. In the grand tradition of um, civilization established by the Romans, though, the pH scale starts at 1 rather than 0. Sure. Um, but, yeah, I see what you're saying. I Actually, like it says 0 fact, to 14 in here. I like the fact, I think it goes from 1 to 14. Well, then Sarah got it wrong. Um, in the, the graph here says 1 to 14. I wonder. Um, but back to it, 7's in the middle. Either way. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. 7. So it would start at zero, I guess. Okay. Um, so the the more acidic is the lower numbers and the more basic is the higher numbers, right? Yeah. The thing is, is rain isn't neutral. No. Normal rain still is slightly acidic and it hits about 5.6 on the uh, pH scale. Right. Um, why so is that? Why? Well, it combines with carbon dioxide in the atmosphere to Thank form you. a slightly acidic... Um, Carbonic acid. Deposition, yeah, which is branched from the root word deposit. That's right. Um, so, uh, so acid rain is something like five point three to four point oh as far as um, acidity goes, right? Four point three to five. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a big difference. Um, and it's something like what the the acidity uh, between orange juice and black coffee. Yeah, which Sarah is keen to point out, which is. A, l- a bit of a misnomer. While that's true, you can't say, well, like, well, it's just like coffee. And that, you're like, that's not going to you throw coffee in your grass and it's not going to kill it. See, I, I'm, I, and yeah, I, I, my hat was off to her for saying, like, whoa, 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 don't just be like, orange juice is fine or sure. coffee's fine. Because if you think about it, if it rained orange juice all the time, yeah. it'd probably have the same <laughs> impact. Dude, that'd be awesome. I would just like right. hold the old cup out the window each morning. I'd be like, oh, it's with pulp today. <laughs> 
Um, the problem with acid rain, though, Josh, even though it is uh, has the acidity of a coffee or an orange juice, it um, can wreck small parts of an ecosystem. And as we all know, if you wreck small parts of an ecosystem, there's a domino effect that occurs right. that spreads throughout an ecosystem. One of the most valuable things on the planet is something like plankton. Yeah, plankton is high currency. It's like honey buns in prison, but for the yeah, you know, pretty much. And when plankton, which is very very sensitive to changes in uh, pH, um, especially when it becomes more acidic, when plankton dies and small invertebrates die, yeah, then yeah, it starves out the larger animals, fish and frogs, and then we start to get hungry, especially the French who eat frog legs. E.g., acid rain is a huge problem in France. That's right. And eventually it's just mass hysteria. Pretty much. Cats and dogs living together. Kimberly from different strokes ends up with green hair. That's right. Uh, There are a couple of um, programs um, that monitor this uh, in the U.S., the National Atmospheric Deposition Program, and they handled the wet deposition, and the Clean Air Status and Trends Network um, handled the dry. And what they're looking for is trying to determine the critical load, which is how much an ecosystem can um, take before it starts saying, oh, man, I'm breaking down. You're killing me with this stuff. Right. Um, and the pH scale is determined by uh, the concentration of hydrogen ions, right? Yeah. In a substance. That's yeah. what makes it either um, acidic or basic, right? Sure. So what these programs are doing is measuring the concentration of hydrogen ions to determine acidity. And they say, oh, well, this is this is too much. Science. I would just walk out and be like, look at this, this plankton is not looking very healthy. This is acidic. I don't even need to measure this stuff. You can just spot unhappy plankton? Pretty much. <laughs> nice. It's not hard once you know what to look for. Sure. I'll teach you sometimes. Well, it's not hard when you've met happy plankton. <laughs> Your life will never be the same. <laughs> the difference is like night and day. So um, surface waters are uh, where acid rain is, is going to hit you most initially. Right. Um, precipitation, and you don't really think about this. You think it, well, it rains in a lake what it, and, a, and in a river. What it does is it rains on the ground, yeah. and although, sure, it rains on the water surface, it's also going to run through soil to get to water. Right. One of the purposes of soil, one of the functions it provides is um, buffering uh, water that percolates through it toward groundwater, toward bodies of water. And what's buffering mean? Well, it it has the ability to neutralize acids. Yeah. Isn't that awesome? Uh, yeah. Um, I think it brings everything more toward purified water or neutral pH, right? Uh, yeah. But I think specifically with a lot of like the... Um, the minerals that are in the soil, like, say, calcium, mm-hmm. they counteract acidic um, rain right. or acidic water to bring it more toward neutral, right? Right. The problem is is when the soil's buffering capacity is overloaded, mm-hmm. there's just too much for it to handle, yep. a lot of that unneutralized acid gets passed along into the body of water, and then you start to have those big problems with the little unhappy plankton. Yeah, it's almost like a, a water filter that's uh, past its date. You know, it just can't filter anymore. Nice analogy. Thank you. S 
Um, so we've talked about what happens where the French end up with a lot of big problems. Mm-hmm. In um, coastal areas, uh, nitrogen, remember we have, um, what is it, sulfuric acid and what acid? What, for acid rain? Yeah, nitric acid. Yeah. Okay, so nitric acid is based on nitrogen. Nitrogen has a really interesting impact on coastal waters where when it's deposited, um, it supports algae blooms. Yeah, lots. Because algae love nitrogen. Yeah. And when algae blooms take place, algae starts to die eventually, and they sustain bacteria, specifically aerobic bacteria that flourishes itself and sucks up all the oxygen in the water, starving fish, shellfish, um, plants, right, and eventually like leading to, uh, at the very least, a strain, if not a collapse, on coastal ecosystems. So too much acid rain will increase algae. Yeah. Increased algae means increased dying algae, and increased dying algae means increased bacteria, right. and they rob fishies of their oxygen. Yeah. That's... A domino effect. One of the things I love about acid rain is just how elegantly understandable it is. It is very basic and simple. I love it. It's not basic. I'm acidic. Yeah. <laughs> very nice. Um, so this, we're not done with the soil, too, by the way. No, no. Um, in, a, in addition to, um, I, I guess, decreasing its buffering capacity or overloading its buffering capacity, um, acid rain has the terrible habit of drawing aluminum out of the soil. Yeah. It's normally locked in the soil. Mm -hmm. Acid rain draws it out, which means that tree roots can suck it up. And that's poison to them. That's a toxin. Yeah, and and Sarah makes a good point here. It's not like a... um, It's not a situation where you're going to find a a rainforest that's leveled all of a sudden because of acid rain. Right. Or you're going to find a lake or a river that looks nasty and decaying and disgusting. Right. Water might actually look cleaner. Yeah, isn't that ironic? It is. It's ironic and beautiful. And um, what it's going to do to your forest is it's going to stun its growth, and over time it's going to have an effect. Yeah. Like you're going to have bald trees. Mm-hmm. Um, because in addition to the, the toxins coming out in the soil on low-lying areas from acid rain... Um, and it also degrading helpful minerals, like we said, like calcium and other things that trees also use. Yeah. Um, in higher al- elevations, that acid rain turns into an acid fog. That is, I did, that's crazy to me. That, that I'm going to say it this time, that is a great band name. Acid fog? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but so just imagine like trees bathing in that all the time. Yeah. Um, that it strips their leaves and basically makes them chilly. Yeah, and that's why when you see uh, mountains in the Appalachian Mountains that have bald peaks, it's not because trees can't grow up there. They could grow up there if they weren't sucking in and being surrounded by acid clouds. Acid fog. Acid fog. Yeah. That's nuts. Just It doesn't even have to be raining. Right, yeah. You know, it's just in particulates in the air. Yeah. Crazy. Uh, and that, that kind of leads to how it affects us because... We are not nearly as sensitive to these kind of changes um, with acid ra- that, that acid rain brings, right? No, it's not going to burn you. No, you can swim in a lake, sure, uh, an acid lake, and you will be fine. 
Um, but an acidic lake, let's say. And uh, yeah, because it's just above battery acid. Yeah. So you couldn't swim in a battery acid lake. That'd be <laughs> no, terrible. That'd be awful. Um, but you could swim in an acidic lake as far as acid rain's concerned. Um, the problem comes with that dry deposition. The um, sulfuric and nitric ox or nitric acids combine uh, in low-lying areas mm-hmm. uh, with ozone. Yeah, VOCs. And create smog. Yeah. Which is bad for your respiratory system. Ground level, baby. Yeah. Um, it can also do things like if you've ever seen an old building that is, uh, or a monument that's got these little smooth grooves, that could be acid corrosion yeah. for like years and years. It'll wear away stone. It'll, it's no friend to your car. Uh, paint job, that's yeah, for sure. Which, I mean, if you're into your car, it's a big deal. Yeah, the tree sap, pollen, bird droppings, and acid rain are the four enemies of your uh, of your auto paint. They're considered corrosive environmental fallout. And friend of Mako. Yeah, Mako loves that stuff. Yeah. Um, so uh, the idea about acid rain, consider this. That stone statue mm-hmm. you were just describing. That takes a long time. Sure. A lot of orange juice rain has to fall on that thing yeah. for it to become pockmarked and weathered mm-hmm. prematurely, right? Um, and it's had actually plenty of time to do that. The, what, what if it was a statue of Edward James Almost? <laughs> you'd be like, it's spitting image. <laughs> so sorry. Um, <laughs> uh, so, the man, you got me with that one. <laughs> So uncool. The reason the reason it's had a long we've had a long time, or that that statue is weathered over a very long time, is because we've had acid rain for quite some time, ever since the beginning of the Industrial Revolution. They think, yeah, pretty much. Because remember, they thought it was a very localized problem, and the reason they thought it was local was because it had such quick, rapid effects. Mm-hmm. But the acid rain—I don't know who co- who coined the term acid fog, but acid rain was coined by an Englishman named Robert Angus Smith back in 1872. Yeah. And it was the monuments that made him say, what in the heck is going on here? Yeah, there weren't a lot of people back then. Like, I was thinking when I read this, like, man, it would have been great if during this boom of ingenuity and industrial revolution, there were just as many people concerned with the impact it might have. But it just couldn't have worked that way. It's almost like they just had to do their thing and then leave us to figure out how to fix it. How to clean up the mess? Sort of. I don't know if those things two, two things could have evolved I think, simultaneously. I, no, I think you're onto something. I mean, maybe we wouldn't have, um, I, I, I don't know, the iPhone maybe? <laughs> Who knows? Maybe we would. I don't know. Maybe we'd be better off. Yeah. Maybe, a lot better off. Maybe we would have more stuff. Maybe it would have changed the way of thinking rather than just... Get, 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 you know, it would have been get. But also, how is this going to affect other people? So Smith was a a man alone. An early ecologist, we'll say. Yeah. Yeah. So good for him. Man, you've been coming up with some great, like, off-the-cuff creative solutions. (laughs) Well, that's not a solution. If we had a time machine, it would be a solution. Okay. Yeah, the Wayback Machine's in the shop. Yeah.
So scientists did determine um, by what, the 70s, 1970s, that acid rain was a problem and it was transboundary. It's not just local. And so then in 1980, uh, thankfully, the Acid Deposition Act uh, said, you know what, we're going to study this for 10 years and we're going to see what's going on. 10 years later in 1990, they said, yep, it's a big problem. Yeah. So we need to do something about it. And they did very quickly. Congress um, took the already established Clean Air Act and added um, sulfur dioxide and uh, nitrous oxide, nitrogen oxide, right? Yeah. Uh, to the list of like most wanted reduction people materials. Right? Yeah. And this was in uh, 1995 with the Clean Air Act and the acid rain program. Right. So it's 1995. This is when everything really starts to come into effect. Yeah. Right. Um, and it, it, I guess at least as far as sulfur dioxide emissions went, it was wildly successful. Yeah. Compared to 1980 levels in 2010, the, re- the sulfur dioxide emissions have been reduced by 50%. That's good. That's astounding, it dude. Is. That is astounding because consider this. That's not from hitting this since 1980. That's hitting like it since 1995. Yeah. We already got it back down to 50%. Yeah, of course. Down 50%. 15, 17 years. That's amazing. And the way they did that is through a cap-and-trade scheme. I kind of like the old cap-and-trade. It makes a lot of sense. Cap-and-trade, Josh. Basically what they say is we're going to set a cap for how much uh, SO2 that your power plant can create. It's a limit. Um, But they set the cap and they says, you know what, you've got these allowances though. If you come under, you get these credits and you can actually sell those to other companies that are in need. And it just, I don't know, something about it makes sense to me. It makes a lot of sense. And then uh, over time, you decrease the um, amount that that people are allowed to emit. Mm -hmm. And when you're cutting it into these allowances, those allowances... By by virtue of the scarcity of them, sure, become more valuable. Yeah, and it really incentivizes you to do something about it for your company. Exactly. So that worked really well for nitrous oxide, or for uh, sodium sulfur dioxide. Yeah. Man, what are we even talking about here? That's why I just say SO two. Um, and with uh, nitrogen oxides, they didn't institute a cap and trade until like two thousand three, so it was lagging a little bit. But it too is something of a success story. They um, they reduced it from twenty seven million tons in nineteen eighty to sixteen point three million tons in two thousand eight. That's pretty good. Yeah, and so this has had a, a discernible effect on the environment. Sure. Um, apparently, uh, let's see the. Acidic lakes, the number of acidic lakes throughout the country have reduced dramatically. Um, There are 70% fewer acidic lakes and streams in Wisconsin and Michigan than there were in 1984. Um, A third of the bodies of water that were acidic in the early 90s in the Adirondacks and the northern Appalachians are now not considered acidic at all. That's awesome. So there have been like huge strides made. Other places, there have not been. And also, you found this really good little kind of overview about acid rain and what happened to it by uh, Nina Rostogi from Slate. Yeah. That's whose stuff I'm quoting right now. So there have been huge strides, but there's still, uh, like you said, originally a long way to go. 
Yeah, the National Acidic Precipitation Assessment Program said that um, another another 40 to 80 percent is what we need to hit to really restore these ecosystems. Yeah. And I think we're we're headed there. It sounds like it. Yeah, like we'll check in in 10 years and follow up on this. <laughs> Who am I kidding? We could. You we'll think do we'll it be for doing this in 10 years. Well, no, we'll, we'll, we'll it'll be our comeback special. Okay. Whatever happened to whatever happened to acid rain. <laughs> Great. Um, but Chuck, I think that this is a really valuable lesson. If you have a non-polarized mm-hmm. international initiative to take care of a problem and you can shout down business interests and just say, no, this is what you're doing and here's how you're going to do it. Yeah. Um, you can make things happen. Yeah, I guess no one was saying acid rain doesn't exist. Acid no, rain's exactly. really not bad. Right. It was pretty much non-polarizing except for big business. And also, were any jobs lost by this cap-and-trade scheme? Was know. industry hurt by this cap-and-trade scheme? I would wager probably not. You think? I would wager not. I bet they're still in business. They're just doing it with clean coal and wet scrubbers and yeah, all, the, all that good stuff. Yeah, it's interesting. And I'm not even an environmentalist. I hate the environment. I'm just fascinated by this stuff. (laughs) It's not true. Well, if you want to learn more about acid rain or acid fog, you can type either of those words into the search bar at HowStuffWorks.com, and that will bring up this very interesting article by Sarah Dowdy. And uh, I said um, acid fog, which means it's time for listener mail. I'm going to call this uh, MIT Nerd Alert. (laughs) <laughs> I got a very nerdy email from an MIT uh, student, and I teased her and said, I'm going to read this on the air and make fun of you. Is that okay? And she went, oh, yeah, and here's some other stuff you can make fun of me about. Um, Hi, Josh and Chuck and Jerry. I love your recent episode on how language evolved, but as an MIT senior graduating in a month, which is probably like right now, actually, um, I felt it my duty to make a very important correction to your intro. We are called the MIT engineers, not the MIT eggheads. I think I called them eggheads. I'm sure you did. Uh, Indeed, our unofficial school song is the MIT Engineers Drinking Song, which includes many nerdy jokes, some of the expense of that small liberal arts school up the river, Harvard. Uh, Additionally, our mascot is Tim the Beaver, Tim being MIT spelled backwards. So clever. (laughs) Because beavers are nature's engineers. In fact, every class has a special ring called the Brass Rat, which depicts a beaver on a bezel. B-E-Z-E-L? Mm-hmm. What is that? Mm-hmm. See, I'm so dumb, I don't even know what a bezel is. We would not make it at MIT. Uh, suppose, no. Supposedly, it's one of the most recognizable rings in the world. Oh, man. Um, I started listening to the podcast during long, long hours in lab, and grateful, and I'm grateful to you guys uh, for entertaining me during my past four years at MIT. Uh, P.S. At MIT, we refer to everything by number, including majors and buildings. Linguistics, the field of Mr. Chomsky... Mm-hmm. Is called Course 24. The inimitable Mr. Tomsky? Gnome, I believe. Oh, yeah. Uh, and is housed in a pretty crazy-looking building. Building 32, a.k.a. the Stata Center. Uh, sorry to ramble on. I'm very proud of my soon-to-be alma mater and PPS. I thought of one more really geeky thing you might want to make fun of regarding MIT's mascot, the Humble Beaver. Mm-hmm. One of our cheers for our football games is called the Beaver Cheer. And I will do that right now. I'm a beaver. You're a beaver. We are beavers all, and when we get together, we do the beaver call. E to the U, D-U slash D-X, E to the X, 
dx. Cosine, secant, tangent, sine, 3.14159. Integral, radical, MUDV. I'm sorry, these are smart things I don't understand. Uh, slipstick, slide rule, MIT, go tech. I feel like he just issued some sort of orders that only like three people <laughs> understand, and now they're carrying out some sort of terrible mission. Yeah, like the nuclear suitcase is like heating up right now <laughs> right. at Obama's side. Yeah. Yeah, I, I can't even say your Bieber cheer. That's how dumb I am. It's okay, Chuck. Who's that from? Uh, Laura. Thanks a lot, Laura. That was a good one. So let's see, Chuck. Oh, what were we going to ask for? Um, was that the B- Oh, what does chocolate rain mean? Yeah. We want to know what chocolate rain means. Also, if you're Tazon Day and you listen to this, if you tell us what it means, that would hold a lot of water. That'd be great. That'd be pretty special. You can tweet to us, Tazon Day or otherwise, um, at SYSK Podcast. You can also s- uh, visit us on Facebook, right? Facebook.com mm-hmm. slash stuff you should know. Yes. Or you can send us an email to stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Listener.